Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are continuing, we are finalizing our conversations about Avatar The Last Airbender. Those who are watching on video can see that we are a little pinch, that we are a little punchy after doing four episodes in a row. Uh, but we're here, we're excited, four days of episodes in a row, eight episodes in four days. But I have to say, folks, if you go back and listen to how we were all kind of down on this on the first day... And we all kind of like had different things we found. And we're all, I think, kind of like hyping each other up on this a little bit more. I sat down to watch these two episodes this morning and I was genuinely disappointed that I was finishing the show. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's going to be another like Ricky and I are on on one page and Matthew's on another. It could be because you, you were saying that sentence. And I started uh-huh. to like nod. Yeah, yeah. Because these last two episodes, I was generally disappointed. Period. So well, yeah. Off. No, I'm saying before I started these two oh, episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was more, I was surprised that I was looking forward to watching them as much as I was. Yeah, that's fair. You know, um, I was like, because I, I thought to that point, episode six was probably the strongest and it felt like it had been kind of Mm -hmm. building momentum and moving more in a direction that I enjoy. And yeah. So I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, wrapping this up. Not so much, you know, already bemoaning that it's going to be like two years at least until we see the rest of the story, if anything, you know, but right. But I was like looking forward to like, you know, Mm -hmm. seven and eight. Okay. Finally the North after I guess six episodes, but like, you know, yeah. Well, and uh, how three podcasts, uh, four podcasts. Ricky is disappointed. Paul, what do you think of these two episodes? Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I mean, I don't know if disappointed is exactly the word for how I felt, but kind of it felt to me more like the first two episodes in terms mm-hmm. of how I felt about them. There were like some things that annoyed me. I felt like, you know, some choices that I understand where they're coming from, but that I don't really like. And then, you know, some more of the just like super on the nose, but also just like great acting from several of the performers, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and some, some solid action. And um, I will say when Katara fights Paku and the, they're doing the water bending, that was the first time I had ever thought, oh, this is just like a splish splash, like. Yeah, okay. So now you saw what I was seeing. <laughs> now I saw it. And I'm like, ah, oh, you've ruined it for me. But then they went to the ice and I was like, okay, okay, no, this this feels a little more serious now. But it yeah. is very dancey. And I did go back and watch the first episode and I noticed the way they shoot some of the bending, particularly from Katara um, early on, especially where they show her, they show the results of the bending, but not mm-hmm. the physical motion of the bender. And that is an editing thing that feels a little jarring to me. And I wonder if it's because they didn't feel like, you know, the motions from the actors were what they wanted, you know, whereas like with some of the other characters, it feels like, like with Zuko and I think Azula, like they really show, you know, them doing the thing and the bending along with their motions, as opposed to the water bending until the, that fight with Paku, it felt to me, like it was um not like they weren't showing the bending 
they were showing mm-hmm. the bent essentially you yeah know. that makes sense yeah that's something on rewatch i probably want to pay attention to is uh specifically katara because she's clearly gotten more powerful as a bender mm-hmm. uh, across this season and i would be curious to just like watch her form and oh, right, see yeah. if that, that has become you know like tighter like her if her form has become tighter mm-hmm. and she's practiced it more and it, yeah um, and that would make sense in a story sense yeah right? yeah mm-hmm. i i'm curious matthew did you know that this show was gonna be in basically like two episode arcs no i had no idea um that, <laughs> so we that got has lucky worked, yeah yeah that has worked out pretty well for us i will say i'm not incredibly surprised by that like i think that that is a fairly common especially for a season that is eight episodes long you know if this were nine episodes long i would have said like we probably should do three at a time or something like that because you know but but it's it's very deliberate because like looking at the credits Mm -hmm. each two episode arc is directed by the same person yeah oh i didn't realize that four directors yeah no i definitely did not real like I did not realize it was going to be anywhere to that extent. I think it worked out really well, though. Yeah, yeah for sure. Some, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Got lucky sometimes it's good to be lucky. Yeah, exactly. So, Ricky, why would you say you were disappointed? Oh gosh, why <laughs> no, weren't no, no. you? Maybe? Well, let's let's not start with that. I, I don't know. I I want to start. Uh, Paul mentioned performances, and throughout the season, I think we've all been very high on the the Zhao performance from Ken Leung and he absolutely nailed it in this episode in, in Mm -hmm. what is what I hope will go down as one of the greatest villain performances of all time. And on this show and, and, you know, star Wars, we talk about villains and sometimes we prefer like complex villains or Mm -hmm. villains that we can relate to. And, Zhao is just like a completely unrelatable, like unrepentant villain, in my opinion. And it works for this character and it works for the performance that he gave, just like the over the top Mm -hmm. yelling of like, I am the moon slayer. It was just (laughs) absolutely pitch perfect. Yeah, I loved it. I I would even, well, maybe I'm going to sound like a horrible person here. I don't mean relatable in the way that like like Magneto or someone like that is sort of like, okay, I think I understand your goals. I just maybe don't love your methods or I recognize that the writer doesn't want me to love your methods or whatever it is. So I would not say he's relatable on that. I do think that I had some under like to me, especially by the end and as part of the great acting, he feels like he's cracked. Like he has somewhat lost his hold on and kind of you know, the kind of delusions of grandeur, the I'm the slayer, I'm all of this. He is not the kind of like cool, calm person he was. Being cool and calm, but it, like he's definitely kind of a little bit gone off the deep end by the end. But to me, part of what I saw was, you know, Azula is manipulating him. He's being given all these different orders from like, you know, he, he he's part of a Fire Lord system where everybody is basically taught, like, do all you can to advance, including stabbing the other guy in the back. Mm, yeah, and yeah. So, yeah, again, like, I'm not like, oh, poor Zhao, um, but I am like, yeah, like, 
in a system that treats people like this, some people are going to crack like this. I totally believe that. And it it made him to me a much more interesting villain even so because like it then it's not just like wahaha ultimate power. It's like I completely see where he got to this point. But that point was, you're right, just purely like malevolent, you know, destruction that had to be stopped. But I mean, he did have that. At one point he declared that he was going to be the fire lord. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm agreeing with you. And, and I, so one of the one of the subtle things that they did um, previously with Zhao that I I think really paid off and I enjoyed is I think it was maybe like Iroh talking to Lieutenant G and Zuko or something like that, but basically like called him out as an incompetent uh, war leader. Right. Yeah. Or like a, or not very good one. Yeah. Yeah. Like all this skills into question. And from that moment forward, like I, I examined the character in that lens and it just all made sense. Like he, he's yeah. a mid to low level commander in a remote outpost who kind of got lucky with, you know, the avatar landing in his lap yeah. and then tried to insert himself into a system and just was like, not good enough either yeah. militarily or politically and, and got played by all the sides and thought he could do this thing and just failed. And it, and he's, he's so interesting to me in that way that he, he reached for the moon literally yeah, and, and couldn't hold on to it. So I'm going to draw a potentially very weird comparison and you might laugh me out of the room and that's fine. Well, I'm in my own room. I'm not leaving it. But you know <laughs> that would I mean. be really impressive if we <laughs> laughed you out of the room. That would be, High level uh, airbending there. Exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah. But to some extent, I'm kind of thinking of this whole system. It's very similar to what the world of the Sith is like of, you know, the strong are rewarded, the weak are punished. And so you're constantly like, you're constantly like encouraged, like cut corners, do everything you can to try and get better and stuff like that. And as you said, the people who try to work in the system and fail, he kind of reminds me of Darth Maul. Mm. Like Maul is much more complicated, but the whole, especially his speech to the end at Zuko, it, it kind of reminded me of like Maul talking to um, Ahsoka or some of the others, you know, where it's it, like he didn't seem like he was lying to Zuko to try to fuck with him. He was trying to be like, I, I have now come to realize, you know, that I, 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 I reached for this and I failed and I was manipulated by Azula and all of this. And it's like, we're all we're all just cogs in this horrible machine. Um, and, and just his whole, like, I want, especially that line about wanting to be the fire Lord, you know, where does that come from? It's just that like, he, he's, he's gotten onto the ladder and now he think he has this opportunity for greatness. And so he's going to take it as far as it can. Hmm. Uh, in terms of star Wars characters, I thought he was very similar to Orson Krennic. Yeah, actually, I see that one really well, too. Krennic had these delusions of grandeur of what he was going to be able to accomplish with the Death Star project. And then Tarkin just, like, yoinked the rug right from under him. And he got hoisted by his own batars and, like, just, like, killed by the Death Star. Um, That that was actually the one thing I didn't like, the the change that they made to how Zhao dies in the end. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I presume he's dead. Presumably Maybe they'll change that in the future 
But in the animated show, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was killed by the spirit, right? Like the either the moon spirit or the ocean spirit, like yanks him away into the spirit world. Is that? I thought he just like fell to his presumed doom, and it was as a result of the damage. I have not recently rewatched it as you two have, though. Yeah, my memory is he kind of falls to the mercy of the spirits. Right, 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 and and Zuko actually like they they were oh, fighting, and then the yeah. spirits grab him, and Zuko actually reaches out and tries to save him, right. which was a yeah. nice like Zuko moment, like yeah. even in the midst of combat, it's like yeah, still- I I want to try to save your life, yeah, um, because I I think in the Legend of Korra, there's a brief cameo of Zhao wandering in the, the fog of lost souls, which gets oh yeah, you you got used in this show, but right. I think originally it was from there. Yeah. And he's yeah. just wandering around, still muttering to himself, like, I am the Moon Slayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here it was interesting. I mean, it was definitely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a choice. And it. I, I thought it was interesting that Iroh is the one who fireballed him. Right. Yeah. And I feel like he did that not just to save Zuko from potentially getting killed by Zhao, but to save Zuko from killing Zhao. Could you know? be, yeah. Like... Yeah, I don't know. I kind yeah. of well, like Zuko's back, Zuko's back was to him at that moment, right? Yeah, I think right. it was like he, he had turned away from Zhao, and then Zhao stood up and was gonna attack him. Yeah, and it, like he didn't call out to him or anything. He just yeah, you know, kind of roasted him. I was, yeah, you- I I've loved the ideas behind how it all ended. Like, and I loved where Zhao was coming from. But I kind of felt they stumbled on the execution in a couple of ways. Um, and and this is one of those examples where I felt like doing it this way, A, we now have Iroh straight up killing somebody, which like I think he would in an absolute killer be killed situation, he would kill, but I do think he's he probably as much as Aang is gonna try to avoid that at absolutely all costs. But more to the point. Zuko here has learned a lesson of compassion. He mm-hmm. doesn't kill Zhao. Zhao. Yeah. And for the show to say Zuko let him live and would have died because of that if Iroh hadn't saved mm-hmm. him. Yeah. That doesn't really encourage by the way you did the right like it's it, it basically saying like Zuko almost got himself killed by being compassionate. Um right. and I don't think the show was trying to say he shouldn't have been compassionate. So that that part of the execution felt weird, mm-hmm. but also the whole scene where he winds up killing the fish. Um, first of all, I my memory and I saw the show only a couple of the animated a couple of days ago. This whole like like in he the, puts it, it in a bag, right? In the yeah, he kind of like kidnaps it and like therefore takes it out of the water. But part yeah. of that is because in the original they don't take this mortal form for a day right they're always swimming around in there yeah 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 and i'll admit the idea that these two spirits want to experience life as mortal on earth and so every day they do that by swimming in a circle in a pond with the only other living thing being their other spirit they spend all their time with you kind of lost me a little bit on that but fine i can i can let go of that he says he's gonna do this Iroh is standing right behind him and says, if you do, I will blast you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Iroh just sits there and watches while he reaches into the pool, picks up the fish, put it in the bag, and then is about to 
kill it when Iroh decides I have to walk around night. So I'm now on a 90 degree angle with him where actually now the guards can see if I'm about to do this. And then he blasts him. And of course it doesn't work because Zao was still able to get to the knife. Like it, it felt kind of like the Mace Windu wind up, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Try, yeah. the emotional content of this could be great. But if I'm stuck thinking about the physics of the fight and not in a like interesting way, but just in a like, yeah. like Darth, you know, I don't know where Darth Vader is in Obi-Wan kind of a way that that's not well done. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That whole thing felt, I mean, I, if he's going to kill Zhao later, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why not just kill him in the hot air balloon? You know, when he says he's going to literally murder the moon. You know what I mean? Like, I guess there were a few of them in the in the air balloon. It wasn't just the two of them. But I kind of felt like, mm-hmm. wait, you're really yeah. going to take Iroh up into an air balloon and then tell him that you're going to kill the moon? Like, you think this is going to work out for you? And then, like, yeah. it worked out fine for a little while for him. But yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm with I, you with the Mace Windu. I didn't pick yeah. up on the, the Iroh walking around. What I picked up on was the... Uh, after Iroh declares, like, if you do, I have to stop you. Yeah. If but he try, didn't even say, I have you. to stop you. It was like, I have to punish you if you do it, yeah. basically. Right. But but Zhao at that point is like, well, you're coming with me because yeah. you are the one who can identify the spirits. Right, right. Because you're, you're so knowledgeable about spirits. And then he doesn't. Right. Like, yeah. Zhao just comes upon the lake yeah. and sees the two and is like, Oh, yin and yang. I identified yeah. the spirits. Cool. Right. 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 So that, so, something is off with, with that whole sequence, I think. Yeah. yeah. And when I, yeah. when this type of, when, when this, when I see this kind of stuff now, my instinct nowadays goes to rewrites. Like mm-hmm, someone yeah. rewrote something and they had to like change the order or something like that. It's like, well, this, we need to still have a scene with them talking on the balloon, etc. Yeah. But so need- yeah, I, something was off. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was like all written out that way. This is just what we ended up with, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't agree with that. And and even having it be the balloons, like it, it, it's straight out of the show. But it's like in season three that Sokka sees that this technology he helped create is now being used, and it, it felt kind of a waste almost to use it this early. Yeah, I no, mean, no. Uh, oh, go ahead. Um, the the balloon thing that happens in the same episode in the mechanist episode. We see that they're that they have balloons and they're starting to use them, but they don't. Oh, no, no, no. They Sorry, don't actually I, use them yet, right? There's. I like apologize. A, a no, no. Yeah. The mech yeah, the, mechanist the mechanist uses a balloon to defend the air temple that they were holding right. up. In. Yeah. And then it crashes, and then yeah, the, then the fire nation. Right, right, right. engineer it basically. Yeah, but but yeah. there was more of a kind of like season long or multi season long setup mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, yeah like the, oh, yeah. they recovered the balloon. I'm sure, like you know, Chekhov's hot air balloon. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, I do just want to quickly say, speaking of technology, <laughs> not only do we get to have the fun of these conversation and Paul laughing at my bad transitions. But you guys can join us in the conversation, too. We had some feedback yesterday. We have some feedback today. Uh, I've seen people start to comment on things. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, Do you agree with us? Do you disagree? Do you have a question you want to hear us discuss? We'll definitely be doing a feedback episode about avatars as well as bringing in some other guests and things like that uh, on the screen now if you're watching, but also just in the show notes or on our website, theethicalpanda.com. 
You'll find all the ways to reach us. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and email. Uh, let us know what you think. We get some more commentary that we're going to read out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'd love to hear what you say. Also, if you want more content like this, when we're not doing an episode every day for four days, we generally do bonus content at the end of most episodes. Sometimes it's related to the topic. Sometimes it's uh, a little bit of a tangent. Sometimes we plan for it to be related to the topic, but it's Paul, so we go off on a crazy <laughs> tangent anyway. Um, and for only $5 a month, you get the bonus content, you get ad-free content, and you get to help support the podcast. It's a really great way to help uh, us keep the lights on and keep us doing what we're doing. So please think about if you like the podcast, YouTube, like, subscribe, do all those things, write us reviews, share this with people. It's such a good way for more people to find out and join the conversation. Let us know what you think and become a member. Back to our regular scheduled podcast already in progress. I think your transitions are wonderful. And I Thank prefer you. to call them secants <laughs> instead of tangents because they all go through the circle, not off. Yeah, into there you space. go. There you go. I mean, it, it hits the circle in two spots. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I never really gave my kind of overall feeling of these episodes. Yeah. Some of the storylines that I wanted done well, I thought were done very well. I thought the stuff with UA was very good. Um, I really believed her and, uh, uh, not Zuko, um, Sokka falling for each other. The idea that she's been dreaming about him for a while, which I think is kind of implied, but not outright stated when she says, because you're the boy of my dreams. Right, right. But also, like, this is a woman who's half the moon. So, like, right. she gets to be a little flighty. And I did really like, I want to ask Riki about one thing about this, which I'll do at the end of this, uh, her being that three-tailed fox that we had seen uh, early on uh, in the last couple of episodes in the spirit world. And him making that connection because of the medallion that she wears and that the fox had on one of its tails. So I liked all that. I thought that was all really good. I agree with you. I thought Zhao was phenomenal. And I again thought um, uh, Zuko was amazing. I didn't need the sexism of the water tribe. Uh, and Mary was with me. And I, I often kind of think like... I. I you know, I'm not going to look to like the one woman I'm watching at the moment and be, let's say, like Mary, be the authoritative voice. But I remember, like, when the whole stuff about Sokka came out. Uh, for those who don't know, there were rumors beforehand that that Sokka's sexism was going to be cut out. A lot of people were upset about this because they said it's really important for Sokka's growth. But then I also saw a lot of folks, including uh, particularly women, often saying, "Look, it would actually be nice for us to see a woman hero who doesn't have to overcome the sexism and misogyny of those around her," and Putting when you don't have it as part of Sokka's story, putting it in here, it is truer to the original, but it also felt kind of like, well, why are you cutting one but not cutting the other? I will though say that I thought it was well done if you're going to have it in there. Um, and I thought the way of not only does like he recognize her talent, but that all of the younger people are like, well, no, that's dumb. We just saw you do that really cool thing throwing ice discs. We want you to learn. Like I loved that. And that that uh, the older guy, I want to say Puka, but I know that's wrong, um, that he kind of comes to recognize how much others respect her was also really important. And I really liked that um, her betrothed was named Huang, I think was his name. Who? Uh, uh, UA's betrothed, the guy she was supposed to marry. Han. Han, Han. thank you. Thank you. I'm terrible with names. I apologize. Han. I, I really like that. I really liked that he was just a decent guy. Like, 
he wasn't a jerk to Sokka. He wasn't super jealous. He really liked Yue, and he was sad that she didn't choose him. But then he just went on with his day. And like when he recognized that she was going to be with Sokka, he was like, yeah, okay, be happy. And, and Sokka, please protect her because she matters to me. And I just... After seeing so much like love triangle jealousy nonsense, that that alone, like made I really loved in the episode. And like there was a lot of problems I had in the episode, but that alone kind of made it like okay, I I am I'm here for this. I like the way they're going. I liked what they did with Han. Um, yeah. Oh you know, no! Now I'm alone. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and there was a spot where there was a a line about Zuko being alone, and I felt like it was like a call out to the um you know zuko alone episode yes, you know it definitely um, was yeah i liked what they did with han he may have shot first but i guess Sokka shot lot anyway um <laughs> i i liked Sokka and and ua their whole interaction and um arnook is that the chief's name arnook is the chief yeah, yeah. ua's father Haku is the old master. Thank you. Arnook talking to Sokka after, you know, Princess Moon becomes the moon again. Um, Mm -hmm. Yue means moon, for what it's worth, um, in Chinese. Um, Well, in in Mandarin more specifically. But um, it, like, yeah, I found the whole, like, Northern Water Tribe sexism plotline super cringe Mm -hmm. um as did the one authoritative voice in in my household who watched that episode (laughs) with me um and it felt i also feel like the payoff didn't feel as great um of katara becoming a master waterbender because i feel like they shortchanged her her arc in this season you know like a lot of what I've complained about with a lot of other female characters is when they get shortchanged in terms of like people are like, Oh, they're too powerful. Blah, blah, blah. We did like, I want to see the training. That's one of the things that I loved about the original. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not just Katara here. It's also Aang. We don't yeah. see Aang training in that way. Right. Um, and we, I, we don't I, see I will say ending. I did think that they had clearly listened to us and then gone back in time and shot the episode because they specifically call out that Aang hasn't been training this whole time. Right. Which exactly. I liked. Yeah, yeah. They 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 drop that in, they lampshade it kind of, right? They're like, yeah, yeah. we know, we know that we didn't do this thing the way they did, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and so it just it and and then the the worst instance of that was this is like for the whole team. Episode eight, the beginning of it, when they execute that excellent attack on a fire navy ship. And mm-hmm. like they're just a well-oiled machine. And it's like, you know, and and Han talking to Sokka about all this experience they have. Like, we didn't get to see that. I yeah. didn't feel that from the episodes that we saw. And I feel like, yeah, I understand it's only eight episodes, but like it feels like if you're gonna rush things, rush the Northern Water Tribe stuff in the north, have that be one episode instead of two episodes. And like, mm-hmm. just give us a little more of the characters training of them learning to work together, like as a team without 
other without Aang turning into another avatar or something, you know? Yeah. And it, it just like, I, I love them as a team and I love the training arcs and it felt very neglected on both those fronts. And yeah. And so then when Katara is like, no, I'm a major badass. It's like, okay, I know you're a major badass, but I, I want to see that journey because to me, that journey is one of the most powerful things about a character story. If a character becomes a master and they weren't a master at the beginning of the story, like show me. And I, yeah. I feel like they, they didn't, um, you know, and I mean, obviously Aang didn't really learn anything and like, uh, okay, I guess there's two more seasons maybe or more, but he like, learned the power of friendship. He learned the power of friendship and something about the past and the future and a hundred years. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, overall, it's just the the writing is what I feel really has not been to my taste. And somehow many of the performances have managed to come up, rise above that. You know, like I was mm-hmm. listening to the words Gyatso was saying in the first episode. And I was like, these could have been delivered like flatly and it would have been like brutal, I think. Yeah. You know, but like somehow he like gets so much out of it, you know? And, um, and there's a number of, of performers who, who've done that. And for me, like the biggest reason I hope they do more seasons is like, I want to see these actors play those characters. I just hope maybe, there's some notes, maybe not from producers, maybe I don't I don't even know. I like I'm not super optimistic about the writing, but like yeah, so many of the performances have been really great and really nuanced. And even if we don't see any more of like Ken Leung, like at least we'll see like more Dallas Liu and like you know others. Yeah. Anyway. So Ricky, you didn't like Han. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Or okay. what happened? Riki is solidly on Team Greedo. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna like try to like go point by point. Okay. First major point: I don't like that they killed Han. Oh yeah, no, I oh oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And more specifically, I don't like that they killed Han and to my knowledge, unnamed water tribe kid who looked up to Katara. Right, yes. Like, both of them. I think there was, like, this need to show, like, how serious war is, and, like, mm-hmm. there were casualties even among, like, people you met and liked. Right. <clears throat> why Why both of them, right? Like, I think one of them, I can understand, makes sense, like, if you want to be this darker, grittier show, showing the consequences of war, and, like, here's this person... I think it should have been the kid, right? Like Katara seeing that kid who looked up to her and like called her master and all that was like a good moment for her. And then to see that potential snuffed, like would have like driven home to her the consequence yeah. of, of war. Right. So like, why also Han at the same, like they kind of, in my recollection, they like walked past one body and then like walked past the other one. Yeah. And, they're and, like right and it kind of like lessened the, the impact of all that so I, I didn't understand that i'm okay with i'm okay with love triangles matthew because they are often necessary shortcuts for getting characters to where they need to be 
And I think minus that love triangle being present, I personally did not buy into this romance. Like I didn't feel like it got to where it needed to be for that's rough buddy to have an impact mm. in the future. Hmm. I just like did not feel that this relationship between these two had time to percolate and develop to the point where she's going to be like Sokka's lost love. Right. I I agree that it did feel rushed, but I don't think him being a jerk in a jealous way would have helped that. I can't imagine how that would have helped that. To me, that would have been like, I, I feel like if there had been that, I'd be even more upset that we didn't get more time with them. Cause I'd be like, why are you wasting time on this jealous ex instead of just letting us see them develop this love that is supposed to be so amazing that he's so upset about it later. But was Han, original Han like animated Han, was he a jerk? I don't feel like he was a jerk. Yeah. He was kind of like jealous and possessive of, of UA and, and was defensive against Sokka, but I don't feel like, I don't know, like the line between jerk or bully, I guess. Like he was set up as a rival and acted Mm -hmm. in that way, but never, in my opinion, maliciously, I guess. I guess I just, I'm just really bored of men being jealous. Like, and, and and, I mean, like Loki kind of offended at the idea that if two men are both interested in the same woman, we have to be rivals. We have to be jealous of each other. We have to be jerks to each other. And like, clearly I don't, I don't believe that, but I feel like so much media goes in that direction that I, I get like, I hear what you're saying. I just think for me, it is just so refreshing to see something. That's not that. I, I guess for me, that's like a really good reason to tell new stories. Yeah. Like with different characters and, and not to just like keep remaking things that have elements that, um you don't love in them you know yeah um just quick aside there's a a youtuber slash author named jiran J. Chow, um whose last name is the same as like admiral Chow, and she she did uh some a bunch of videos about like a, a bunch of the cultural aspects mm-hmm. of um the the original animated series and um she has a novel called iron widow does feature a love triangle except it's a it's a thruple love triangle nice so you know it's a it's a different different take on you know um but yeah i i mean i'm with you in terms of like that's not a story that i enjoy and i don't Mm -hmm. really want to see it a whole bunch of times but like also i mean i didn't feel the absence of it here but i it's just one of the things about adapting something and changing the story is it's like they're gonna change certain things and not other things and it's like well why is that what you're changing and then why are you leaving this and then it just like i don't know i i I almost wish like they made it more different in some ways yeah you know um and i'm not a fan of the kind of making it more dark or whatever because like Mm -hmm. It, it, the 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 big problem I have with the series as it is, this edition of it is that I feel like they're trying to be like very thoughtful in terms of like what the ramifications are of telling this kind of story versus that kind of story, but then they're also trying to be kind of manipulative and abusive in terms of like you need to see this violence, like you need to see someone's skull immolated on on screen 
while also writing dialogue that feels like it considers the audience to be of a very low level of intellectual development, you know, like, like they have to explain to you what everybody is thinking and everything that's going on all the time, or like maybe you'll miss something. I, I had every, every other episode till now, when you talked about the dialogue, I had kind of like vague senses of what you mean, Mm -hmm. but I hadn't noticed it as much. This episode, there were a couple of lines, particularly from, uh, I agree with you from, um, the, the monk from the last episode, but this one especially from Zhao and then later from Azula that just felt so – like, and I, I watched with subtitles because like mm, I had some yeah. audio processing stuff and sometimes like there's other noise. And there were times where like I would listen to them while getting so much emotion from the actor mm-hmm. and then be reading the words and be like, did I really just feel that from those dumb words? Like, <laughs> right, really? right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Especially like Azula, when I forget what it is she says when she takes off the mask, but it just was like, oh, at the end, yeah, all you had to do was take off the mask, and I would have understood everything of the words you just repeated. Like, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Just lines that it's like we don't need a line here. Yeah, just show us their face. Like the act, trust your actors, right? There's like not trusting the audience, but then there's also not trusting your performers. Like there's spots where you can have a line in a script, and then you can shoot the scene. And after you shoot the scene, you can look at it and go, I don't need this line. Like yeah. their face said everything. There was, there was, there were one or two that Iroh said too. Oh, there was one where he has a tear and I'm like, I don't need the tear to see that he's crushed. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that it oh. feels, it was in when Zuko maybe blows up, but then doesn't blow up. And then he's just like talking to him casually on the boat later. I'm like, we don't even get to see that Iroh now knows that Zuko's not dead. He's just like, oh, Zuko, yeah. yes, this is what's happening. Yeah. It's like. No, I think it was when Zuko is leaving that, that you see the tear. Oh. I thought it was when he killed Zhao. You know what? I'm <laughs> guessing there were a lot of tears and we noticed different ones. <laughs> That's possible. But the, li- the line there is it was um, Zuko says, like, Luten would have been proud. Oh yeah, call you mm. his father or something yeah. like that. That line was so bad, especially it's like it was a good moment, and it still gets to me because the moment was good. But was yeah, like, yeah. But did you just say that? Especially like would have right. He's he a specific grammatical tense <laughs> that implies a possibility. Yeah. Like I don't would know. Have if that's be proud if he saw you right now. Acceptable, fine. There's what a possibility that that was like father? intentionally bad because like it's Zuko, right? <laughs> and he's still processing and like still not quite doesn't know how to show his emotions or like yeah. speak his emotions. Are you telling me so, that he might say that was rough, buddy? I, I, yeah, exactly. Like that's <laughs> think, the same character. I think someone looked at a draft of the script and went, "That's rough, buddy," and they're like, "Ah, we're leaving it." Yeah, but that line was know, rough. So yeah, the line was rough, and, and like somehow. It didn't totally ruin the moment because like the performances and like, yeah, it's not just the performances though. It's like actually everything visual, like not everything like UA's mm-hmm. wig looks ridiculous, but like yes. overall the costumes and the, the makeup and the largely the effects um, and like, especially like the settings um, there's things that I feel like are literally too dark in that sort of like, they're trying to do that way. And I don't understand why people keep doing that. But, like, 
overall, I think the visual look, um, the music, I, I feel like most aspects of filmmaking have been executed at a very high level in this series. And yeah. like, if they just like, uh, like, just like, like get Tony Gilroy to like do a polish or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it feels to me like just trust your audience and trust your actors. Yeah. I think it's true because like I said, it, if you told me that you aged the, if you took a show that was originally aimed, not entirely at children by any means, but was like, I know lots of people who were watching this when they were six or seven years old and absolutely fell in love with it. Mm hmm. And if you told me that something that was originally written in a way that, like, you know, kids that young could really love and and fully understand, and now you made a more adult version of it, but that is less subtle, like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah, it's just incongruous. Those two aspects. Let so, me shift to another. Oh, go ahead, Ricky. Well, I want to I want to address like the whole thing of writing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was doing some research. And what I discovered was that the two co-creators of Avatar, like the original series, yeah. uh, Brian Konietzko and Michael Dante DiMartino. Mm -hmm. So those two were originally on this project, I believe, and, yeah. um, as, as writers. And they still have credits, uh, teleplay credits for episode one and episode six. Yeah. But then partway through... They both chose to leave the project like due to two the, years in the classic creative, creative differences. differences. Yeah, right. Which who knows what that means, right? Like they're not going to say because they don't they don't want to like badmouth this. Like it's right. they still love Avatar. I'm sure they wanted to succeed despite leaving well, the project. Or they've signed but, NDAs and would love to badmouth it. I mean, I, just, but yeah, I, you're probably right. But I'm just also saying they, they posted about it on social media and they're actually making more avatar related stuff with nickelodeon oh that's cool as yeah. part of not but not with netflix it's like a yeah yeah but this is like these are the things outside of like the the fantasy world like as fans as people who consume the media we have to take into consideration when we're like oh the writing is bad yeah is it bad because you know these two left the project there are still like bits and pieces that they wrote and then other people had to come in and say, okay, how do we fill the gaps that they left behind? Or like, because they had creative differences, like we want to go in a different direction, but now we have less time to like fully flesh out and, you know, rewrite entire scripts. Yeah. And that's not, I, I, when, when I see stuff like this happen, you know, like secret invasion was a complete mess because of rewrites. It's not, it, we're critical of the final product that we are watching. But yeah. again, like, as I always say, like, these are human beings who have a job they're trying to do. And sometimes the circumstances don't allow you to do your job to the best of your abilities, like due to time constraints. Oh, yeah. So I want to make sure like that we're, we're saying like, Hey, this didn't work out the way we wanted it to necessarily, but I yeah. still have hope for the future. No. And that's very fair. I think it's also, uh, and I may have slipped up on this, and if so, definitely please call me out and how it happens in the future. I think it's very important that there's a difference between saying the writing or the, even better, probably more accurately, the dialogue wasn't very good versus the writers screwed up. Because it could well be the writers themselves, as you say. It could be that 
the original script the writers gave them was a lot better, but the producers, as uh, Paul was implying, might have like changed it down somewhat. You know, um, like you know, we've talked a long time about like was Natalie did Natalie Portman just walk onto the set of um, Attack of the Clones and decide, you know what, I'm a world class actor, but I'm not going to do that this time. Yeah, <laughs> probably more likely it was her directing or the writing or like or the editing that made it seem like that. We. I, I think you're or, making a very, very good point. the writing and directing. Because <laughs> well, George Lucas is like, no, Hayden Christensen did exactly what I wanted him to do. It's like, all right, well, then. Yeah, okay, so that, that's not that's the best you, George. My, my point, though, is just this, is that in a creative project where so many different people are involved, and I think, Ricky, I've not been, I have not been as cognizant of this as I should be, and I'm really appreciating you bringing this up, uh, and you can tell me if I'm missing your point entirely, but I, I, I think this is where you're going. I feel like it's a really good idea for people who are being critical of it. Like criticize the product. Don't try and get into, unless they specifically tell you what they did. Like, was it this specific person? Because even even if we know that it is the writers, like I don't, I care in so much as if I see those writers on another project, I might not watch it or I might have hesitations, but I'm not going to go out and start adding those writers on Twitter when I bash this, you know, not that I'm going to bash it, but yeah, I mean, that's, the thing is, like, we talked earlier about um, Zhao and just, mm. like, how perfect he was. I think if you if you read his dialogue, like, on a piece of paper, like, on the mm. script, some of it is probably, like, what we would call bad writing, right? But he, like, Ken Leung knew, understood the assignment, yeah, and he took that and he owned it, and he took some, like, some hammy lines... And yeah. just like did a Palpatine, right? Like mm-hmm. unlimited power. You, if you read that on a script, you're like, ah, so would he really like shout this? But when Ian McDermott shouts it in the way he did, you're just like, oh yeah, this is great. No, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you are, but I was that was not my response when Ian McDermott did it, and I'm guessing it was not Paul's. <laughs> Oh, I I love that moment. I mean, I laugh at that moment. It definitely happened. <laughs> it I will say, it could have been worse. I I do <laughs> I I don't think it could have been delivered better. I, I will I'll I'll just leave my opinion at that. Yeah. Um, in, it could have been a mwahaha at the end. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, just in terms of delivery, it's convincing. That that version of that character, yeah. I'll, <laughs> anyway, I I think to me, it's I think criticizing the writing compared to criticizing the writers, and mm-hmm. it's you know it's a fine line, and it's like well yeah. you know I mean people yeah. generally I... take pride in their work and take identity from it sometimes you know but like obviously like yeah don't at people don't harass people about it and when it comes to anything that ends up on screen unless you know it's like a one person is clearly in charge and has you know has final cut basically like you don't know whether the credited writer came up with a given line you don't know whether some staff writer who's uncredited or is in the later credits came up with a given line. You don't know whether the showrunner, whether a producer suggested it, whether an actor ad-libbed it, 
you know, or or whether it was ADR afterwards by like a totally other writer who was like ghostwriting or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I mean, I, I deeply agree with like, don't obviously don't harass anybody for their involvement in like making art anyway, outside of art that's like aimed at people and oppressing them or whatever, but just like- Ben Shapiro's terms- rap, you can, you can harass you can, everybody you can, else. Yes, 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 please. Um, but like, but I think like criticizing the product is like, yeah, however those words ended up on the printed page or they decided these are the words that the actor is going to speak, like, I think better choices could have been made in that yeah. regard. And, yeah. And but the same writers might be able to come up with better ones in the next season, possibly. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, this art, right, of television and movies, like the more I consume, the more I understand you know like i'm not a film student but i understand like the process is so collaborative between everyone so it's like like i said like a a good performer can elevate bad writing Mm -hmm. i think a a bad performer could you know devalue good writing so it's like you know like the moment in andor stellan skarsgård's monologue right that was good writing plus good performer and, and, you know, possibly other elements added to that. It's like a perfect mixture. Yeah. And so for, for me, my biggest thing is, does it, does it take me out of the moment? Right? Like the, the Zuko uh, Luten would have been proud to call you his father. Just like, it, it 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 was a good moment, but I, it took me out of the moment mm. right there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I don't like that that happened. Yeah. Whoever is responsible, like it just didn't yeah. work for me. Right, right. Yeah. You just you want to savor the moment and enjoy it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it should have been it should have been a a better moment, more impactful. Yeah. Like I Definitely. think I started to cry, and then I kind of like I I yeah. can't cry out of that line. <laughs> right, right. I might have I might have not... still cried. Yeah, <laughs> might have cried anyway. So I want to shift gears a bit and ask Ricky, you a specific question, although Paul, I'll interested in your thoughts on this. Um, and again, this is one of those, like, I don't want you to be the authoritative voice, you know, of any community, but it, you know, you've talked before about how you as a, a Japanese American person have, have, have that context you bring. I don't know much about the stories of the nine tailed Fox in, and the role they play in Japanese mythology, but I do know that it's like a specific character. And obviously a lot of things in this show both animated and live action are inspired by different aspects of different parts of Asian cultures. Uh, Some very directly, like you said, with some of the names, some kind of more obtusely. I'm curious for, I, I, you may not know any more about that particular myth than I do, but I'm I'm just curious if it is something you know about. And I don't know if maybe there is a a related story about a three-tailed Fox or if like seeing them have a three-tailed Fox felt like, a legitimate way of referencing the myth, but of making it their own, or if it felt like problematic because it was taking something that wasn't their own and changing it, kind of an appropriate matter. Like, did you have any thoughts on this? No. Okay, that's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> it happens so, in five seconds on screen, so I didn't, you know. I like literally no. I'm I'm familiar that there are foxes in mythology with multiple tails, probably mostly because of Pokemon. There's a Pokemon called Nine. Like that's why you're familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want, like for a follow-up episode, I'm happy to do research on it because I like research. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have any 
feelings on it at the moment. Okay, well, that's that's like, really fair. I will I will say I didn't like that like mm-hmm. what happened in the show because I mean first off again like we're going to talk about uh, a line of dialogue the you're you're the boy in my dreams was like right. so cringy. Yeah. Um and it to me it felt like we we were we were talking earlier about the relationship and how it didn't get there for me. This, this felt like an attempt at a shortcut that to mm. me is not the right way to do a shortcut, right? Like Yeah. I mean maybe for her, but for him like she was a a fox, like a, an animal <laughs> like, fox. Yeah. So it's like how can you have feelings for her like based on that? Like right? those so, kind of feelings. That there's some Google it, searches that you clearly haven't done and probably shouldn't do <laughs> that they might answer that well, question. Don't do that sort of research. Yeah. I guess again, like I guess it makes a little more sense for her. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that she has seen him mm-hmm. like fi- like physically in the spirit world. Um, yeah. but, but I, he never saw her like he makes the connection and is like oh like you were the fox and it's like but what does that do for you right here's odd because I actually thought it did more for him because I, I do feel that like this was his moment of probably greatest disorientation since this guy woke up out of the ice after 100 years and the flying sky bison like he is in the spirit world he has no idea what's going on he's complete like he's a very he he's one of those like very confident, very fragile kind of types, you know, where and this is I think him at his most vulnerable. And then here comes this creature that is care, showing care and consideration and worry about him. Mm. And he mostly has to worry about everybody else. I'm like, granted, they worry about him too, but I, I could see him kind of imprinting some way, not in a like, oh, I want to kiss that fox, but in a like, oh, you were like the feeling of compassion and of protection and of someone's looking after me that I got from that Fox is embodied in this very pretty girl. Do I think there's some, like, is that the healthiest basis for a relationship that I've ever heard of? Absolutely not. Do I think it's a reason for a 16 year old boy who really likes falling in love to fall in love? Yeah, I can see that. I just have foxy lady stuck in my head now. So. <laughs> That's totally fair. That's totally I, fair. I thought the like the medallion or whatever that was like on her tail when when she was in fox form mm-hmm. in the spirit world, and then like showing that to me that felt like really on the nose, you know, like that felt like one of those like oh did you get it, you know, where it's like no it's just it's the same voice, and then she said recombobulate like I that yeah I feel like that should be enough. I don't think we need I mean, like I, a visual thing. Even, I still, I still don't get it. Why even, did the fox have that? I, I don't know. <laughs> even, <laughs> I don't know. Even the um, uh, closed captions were on the nose because the word "recombobulate" was in like quote marks. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. She was yeah. Quiet. I mean, I, I was okay with that part because it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. That's fine. A weird word, right? Yeah, yeah. A very yeah. weirdly specific word. Yeah. So that worked for me. I the the hair pin thing doesn't work for me because again, like yes, I understood. I understood yeah. what they were doing, and I was like, why? Right. I'm just saying. I've watched a lot of teen romance and stories like this. This is not scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms <laughs> sure. of like why are these sure. people in love with each other now? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think there's a lot more about the specifics of this we could say, and we're probably going to do some follow-up episodes and hopefully one or both of you can take part in. But I want to kind of move to a more um, uh, overall picture of this. And I want to start by actually, this was uh, one of the other great pieces of feedback we got. Um, for some reason, the feedback we kept getting was from people with phenomenal names. So this person was <laughs> uh, Stressbender, uh, was their Ooh, name, which goodness. I like. Uh, and Stressbender writes, love the cast, love your coverage. Thank you. Two questions. Now that you've seen the whole season, do you want to see the next season? And if you wind up not liking this overall, do you want to see someone else take a crack at live action? Or should this idea of live action of Avatar just go away forever? I don't want to see another version. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that this series gets a second and third season. And I kind of hope they stop there, although they could do a fourth season, which was actually planned, the original yep. animated series. Um, I mostly hope that there's another season because I think a lot of people are involved in the production of it and a lot of them are doing really good jobs. And, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, it's it's a lot of performers who haven't often gotten to be the star, you know? And like mm -hmm. when Scarlett Johansson gets cast in um, Ghost in the Shell, you know, one of the arguments that the studios try to make is like, oh, because there's no, you know, commercially viable Asian actresses to play this yeah. role, you know, who's who can carry a, a blockbuster. And, you know, I, I feel like, I mean, I don't really know exactly how it did in the box office in terms of like, like Shang-Chi, but like, I think it was pretty clear, like, yeah, you know, you, if you give someone a chance to be a star, they can become a star. And then yeah. they can carry your movies in the box office. And I mean, I hope Dallas Liu gets like some something, you know, gets to yeah. be like, I mean, being Zuko in this is an amazing role and an amazing opportunity. But like, I feel like he could definitely star in and carry, you know, whatever, yeah. kind of. And, you know, th there's just there's a lot of people that I think being in a series that doesn't get canceled after one season is probably going to be a lot more helpful to their careers and kind of towards like the direction that film and TV go in than yeah. being in a series that had very mixed reviews and then got canceled after one season. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah, I, I think if I would love to see Dallas show up in star Wars somewhere. And frankly, sure. if he, if he, I'm a little bit MCU fatigued, but if you tell me he's going to be one of the young Avengers, I'm a lot more interested in that movie now, you know, or sure. if he's going to be some DC character, or if he's going to be in the next Shang-Chi movie, which God help give us to us, uh, <laughs> even though it sounds like maybe we won't get, but yeah, if he showed up in one of those projects or just like some other, you know, martial arts, you know, action, awesome movie that will delve in some cool things. Like I'm there for it. Wait, he's in the first Shang-Chi movie. Oh, is he? Okay, never mind. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we've talked about He's this. Katie's okay. brother. So he, yeah, he right. should be in the second one, too. Maybe okay. he'll have a more prominent role. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Parking cars is super hard. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I mean, in San Francisco, like, she's driving cars around San Francisco. Like, that actually, that cannot be easy, an easy place to be, like, a valet parker if you have to, like, street park and stuff. Yeah, where it's like a 45-degree angle often or higher. Yeah, yeah. It's a great city, but it's a terrible place to drive. Yeah. Ricky, what about yourself? Next season, and do you want another live action? 
Okay, wait. So the first question was, do I, do first I want to... question is, now that you've seen the whole first season, do you want to see the next season? Um, I'm going to say no. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Yeah. I do. Do I want to see the next season? It's like, no, like I, I end this season, like pretty lukewarm, disappointed. It was like an okay show, but mm-hmm. I, I already know the story and nothing, uh, not enough about this version made me want to continue along these lines mm-hmm. because um, Azula is going to be a more prominent character going forward. And she is the one. <laughs> and thus far, neither her performance nor the, the way that they have written her preemptively into the show makes me excited about her character and her story going forward. So yeah. that that's my, my thoughts on that. Like, if there is a second season, will I watch it? Of course, because I have to be back here to talk about it. But no, like I'll, wa- I'll watch it because it's Avatar. Like I, right. I do love the overall story. So, like I've periodically rewatched the animated one. So, like why wouldn't I watch a slightly different version of the story? Yeah. Right. But it's not. You know, I've mentioned previously on this coverage how One Piece like really changed the the dynamic of. Um, animated to live action for me personally and i think for a lot of people and because of how well it was done that show i'm just like give give me give me the next season give me the next season there was actually like my netflix loaded slowly and my preview thing said one piece new episode like this saturday and i was like are you kidding me and then like the image loaded and it was the animated one piece i was like oh Oh. (laughs) (laughs) so that like that was like absolutely i'm in like give me the next season this one i'm like yeah like i hope i i i agree with paul i hope they the creators get a second season and the performers right because i think yeah they've, they've done a good enough job there are much worse things that keep getting new seasons and it's like mm-hmm. why not why not give right, that right, like, exactly <laughs> so yeah. it's not like it's not offensively bad Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it's not something that I am like immediately excited for. But I'm, yeah. I'm, it's not something I'm excited to watch a second mm. season. But I would be excited for them to get one for, for yeah. everyone involved because, yeah, and I completely agree with Paul. Like Dallas Liu, a star is born or a star is mm-hmm. elevated by this. Um, I hope that's one of the major takeaways because he absolutely deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm kind of similar to where both of you are. I if season two was on tomorrow, I would definitely watch it. In part because I did enjoy a lot of this, but also because I'm just a very curious person. And <laughs> if if you show me something that is just someone that basically kind of took a smorgasbord of parts of Avatar and threw them all together on screen, and it didn't really have a coherent whole to it, I'd be like, eh, I'm not super excited to watch the next season. And I've definitely seen some stuff like that. Here, I felt like by the end, and maybe this is more so for me than for you guys, I feel like I have a concrete idea 
of where they're trying to go, particularly with the Ozai Azula Zuko story. It's not where they went in the original. It's not necessarily where I would have wanted them to go. But I'm very curious to see where it winds up. I'm very curious to see they're now doing this different, no non-training version of Aang, where it's much where he's about this different kind of things. I'm curious to see where that goes. So in a vacuum, do I want to see it again? Do I want to see it next season? Yeah, sure. All other things being equal. But I think in the same way, like if you told me my choice is like another season of this versus another season of like you know, Umbrella Academy or Stranger Things or, you know, one of the other Netflix shows that I like a lot more. Yeah, I'd probably be like, if I have to choose, give me that one. Um, and as the other question, I think there's only one way I'd ever want to see yet another live action of these stories. Either it's in like 20 years, we've all forgotten and technology's changed so much and we're doing a totally new thing. Or it's a fundamentally new story told in this world. Like if you told me someone's doing a live action of like, you know, Shozen uh, in and Roku, you know, that could be a cool story to watch. But mostly what I would just want to watch is someone tells me that they're redoing Legend of Korra. And episode one opens with Korra and Azumi walking into the sunset. And then they make out on screen for like, Three whole minutes at least, like the best kiss you've ever seen. Cora turns to the camera and says, Okay, now that you know that happens, let me go back and tell you my story. Um, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the Cora show ends with a very close relationship between our hero Cora and another woman. The way it was written and shot, they walk into the sunset, turn to each other, and kiss. Because of the sensibilities at the time that the show was made, they cut out the kiss. So I'm I'm kind of being humorous about that, but also being like the only way I'd want to watch more Cor- another Cora is if they guarantee me the kiss is happening. And so I think it'd be funny if they did that in the first thir- three thirty minutes, three minutes. I think it's <laughs> on YouTube. I think you can watch the. Uh, well, yeah, you can watch the, the one that's edited out. Yeah, you can see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, the editing floor, the cutting room floor. Um, yeah, yeah. The, that follow up question of like. Do I want someone else or, or a different project? Like not telling the story of Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. I agree that there are there are elements of this world that I think are ripe for more storytelling. And I think that the the product is becoming big enough that we are starting to see a picture emerge of the avatar cinematic universe because everything has to be a cinematic universe so yeah like i don't know give me the give me the cabbage man story because he ends up being like a industrialist who founds an empire like an industrial empire in the legend of korra give me uh actually you know like give me the lieutenant g story and that that's something we could get on this show Mm -hmm. so so the interesting thing here at the end of this season was um, Zhao may still be alive. Like, that's unclear. Like, much more mm-hmm. unclear than in the animated show. Uh, Lieutenant G may still be alive. And I, I think, like, he's a character that just ended up disappearing in season two. So the fact that Iroh specifically, like, mentioned him at the end when he, mm-hmm. they're... Um, they're paddling away. Yeah. I picked up on that and I was like, 
I wonder if he's going to show up somehow in season two, like in a in a prominent role. Yeah, probably not with Iroh and and Zuko, um, and Zuko because yeah. their their story in season two is like one of them together alone, alone together. Yeah, but maybe we see G return to the Fire Nation and like celebrated as a hero and gets involved somehow and passes yeah. information along to Iroh and Zuko somehow mm-hmm. or, or something, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think they handled his character like for, for such a minor character, like they added some really meaty elements that I, I hope that they continue with. Yeah. So, so that like but, we, we talk a lot about the differences between mm-hmm. the animated and the live action. And oftentimes because the animated show was so good, I think we end up being critical of the live action, but I, I do think like there's stuff that they did here that works. Like G yeah. works. Um, the, the scene of uh, Luten's funeral was mm-hmm. absolutely heartbreaking and worked. And it was probably my favorite, favorite thing mm-hmm. on in this version. So there, there's stuff that that's, that is working for me. Yeah. As, a, as you're saying, throwing out different ideas, I was just thinking a movie about the white Lotus society. We're like, we sometimes see these things happening in the background, but like, it's much more about all the stuff that was going on with that. I would love. Um, yeah, I would like to not see anything more in this time period, like within yeah. the story. Sure. But like, once you've done this one, like, oh, this is like the third pass through this time period. Like you have a long history of avatars. Like give me Kiyoshi on screen. They wrote two novels, you know? Yeah. And honestly, like those are supposed to be darker. If you want to do darker stuff, do that, you know? Yeah. Give me, I mean, it's funny. So I was at a wedding earlier today and I was talking to someone who had a really interesting perspective where he said, look, I loved Avatar and I have a five-year-old kid and I was really excited to watch the show with them. And he watched like the first 30 seconds of the first episode and was like, I I don't want my my kids going to have nightmares if they watch Mm. this, you know? And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds understandable. I would have watched it, but I'm not sure I'm the best example of like, you know, how parents should raise you in terms of what they should watch. Yeah. So. My dad took me to the twilight zone when I was five. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of how we became friends. Cause you were the, your mother was one of the other ones who were like, yeah, that's fine. What, you know, uh, uh, Pamela is showing the kids like, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were teenagers, so no, no, I was just watching whatever I wanted, but yes, fair, but still. There was um, okay. There was one thing, one missing element that I want to touch on. Mm-hmm. We we talked about Master Paku and mm-hmm. his sexism. I, I I think it's okay. Like his sexism is okay. Like it it is unfortunately an integral part of his character. Right. Um, they tried to play it off as more of like the traditions of the tribe. I think. Yeah, like it's a cultural which, thing. Yeah. Which uh, spreads out spreads it out more, but then it it made a little less sense when the women were like, "No, let us fight," because right. initially, yeah. like, the uh, ha- not Hakoda, what's her name, um, Yagoda, mm-hmm. the the female mm-hmm. master yeah. who was teaching Katara healing, yeah, which was a good scene, by the way, yeah, right. yeah, but that made less sense to me, right? Because she also seemed to be like super into the traditions, and yeah, there that wasn't was totally like a, out of nowhere. There wasn't like an <clears throat> indicator that she was like, "Yeah, this sucks, but it's what we have to do." All of a sudden, she's like, "Like we're gonna fight too." So, eh, um, 
But what was what was missing was that Paku has a past relationship yeah. with Grand Grand. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they just like completely not there. They probably don't want to deal with that at all. But I, I don't know. Like, did, did, did you feel, I mean, you, you recognize it was missing. Like, how do you feel about that? I, I definitely recognize it was missing. And I was, I liked it a lot. And I thought that it gave, it gave him more of a direct connection to Katara in a way that I felt deepened the relationship and made some of the, the stuff around the sexism more powerful. Um, but in terms of like the other, st- like if you told me again, if you said, Hey, would you want five more minutes of, um, Paka and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I keep, I get his name wrong. Um, Paku, Paku of Paku and his backstory with grand grand or five more minutes that deepens UA and Sokka. Like I want you and Sokka hands down. Like, so, so kind of like, was it missing? Yes. But on the list of things that I wanted this episode to have more of, there's other things that are higher on that list. Yeah, but it it wasn't like a direct through line, but it was kind of interconnected, right? Because it was this, I didn't, weren't they, they were betrothed. Paku and Grand Grand were betrothed. And then mm-hmm. she chose to leave him mm-hmm. for uh, the, the Southern Water Tribe guy. Right. So the whole like northern and southern tribes thing, it, it right like a well, and, and also and the idea mirrors, of yeah. of leaving your betrothed, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I felt the absence, but also I, I will not so much that there are other things that I would have liked to see in this episode. Honestly, I I would have liked to see more earlier. That I, mm. that's kind of where I really felt like, I, but you know, it is like, what do you add? What do you subtract? It's I think a lot yeah. a lot of that I think is just going to be kind of preference. It's like which stories are most important to you. Maybe season 2 they begin still at the Northern Water Tribe and then they have a scene like that. Although given that it's going to be like I mean this was shot in 2021. Oh wow. Like really? Yes, this is like more than 2 years ago. Maybe maybe photography wrapped up late. Like you were talking about the creators of the original show, they left more than a year before filming started. That was like 2020 I think when they left. And then yeah. it was 2021 that they finally started shooting and I think they got it done pretty quickly. It was it was all in I think it was mm-hmm. mostly or all in in Vancouver. Um, um yeah production and filming began november 16th 2021 so probably went into 2022 then photography right. wrapped uh on june 17th 2022 right so so, so less yeah. than two years ago but almost two years ago i mean that's that's been some time so when you see that is the yeah the cast you know particularly the younger cast members like they they don't look the same Ang's voice may have dropped an octave or two. Like, right. That's it, totally what happened. Didn't. But yeah, but you would think so, right? I mean, it certainly yeah. could have, so, and it still can. There's still time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would like to change yeah. my answer. I do not want to see season two <laughs> because I like seeing that time frame. Like, yeah. I am even more worried about you know what you've been talking about, Matthew, the Stranger Things problem mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. kids growing up. Um, yeah. that that just seems like too much time. I'll be well, curious, you, you know, the story a little bit. Yeah, 
I mean, maybe they were trained. Maybe like because of all this, they they've spent the last two years training, and we get a nice training montage. You know, um, <laughs> training montage. Sylvester Stallone will sell the rights, the, the 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 music. You know, get a little Eye of the Tiger going on. I don't think he has the rights to that music. No, no, I he probably has the rights. Survivor. To the, uh, yeah, the 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 original song, the you know, getting stronger. Mm. Oh right, um, right, right, right. Yeah. But um, yeah. We'll see. I, I will say, actually, actually, that is one more reason why I want to see them. Uh, I want to see them at least do season two, because season two is far and away my favorite and has mm. the addition of my favorite. Well, it's close to season three, but I think season two is my favorite. And it has um, <laughs> there's, the, season, there's three seasons and you're like two and three. Well, they're close, but they're both. They're... But I think season two, but I, I'm saying that both of them are much higher than season one. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. If you ask me my top 10 favorite storylines from Avatar, maybe one or two of them are from season one. Most of them are from season two, and a couple are from season three. And so getting to see how is this group going to do Toph? How is this group going to do Bossing Say? Particularly because, frankly, I think the Bossing Say story is one of the most culturally relevant for today that I can think of, you know? And, And so we'll see. I, I think though the other thing that all this conversation has really made me think about, kind of taking a longer lens in all this, is, and, and I've been thinking about this in terms of both like going from animated to live action, from books to either animation or live action, and also from like smaller niche TV to big budget movie. I think th- I, I think stories that particularly have a kind of niche audience to them suffer the larger the audience is supposed to get, you know, just because like the quirkiness of some projects, you can get a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand people or a couple million people to buy that book or to watch that show on Nickelodeon, you know, or whatever. Like, and this show maybe is not the best example, but still like. The audience that Netflix needs and the audience that is probably like numerous orders of magnitude bigger than what Net what Nickelodeon needed at the time, you know. And so I do wonder how much that also is a factor of, you know, there are a lot of these things where it feels like someone is saying at some point, look, yeah, a lot of people liked this Ahsoka character on Rebels, but we want tons of the people who never watch rebels to watch ahsoka so we've got to kind of broaden it out or you know make it wider and i do wonder if that was a part of this are are you commenting on basically the studiofication of movie making and television making yeah i'm i'm saying that i think there are a lot of projects not all but a lot where the wider the audience gets whether rightly or wrongly, a lot of times the studio will feel you have to kind of make it less quirky or less like you, you got to kind of round the edges some and make it more palatable for a more general audience. Yeah, I think it's it's about money, obviously. It's yep. about how much money they're putting into a thing. And it's about their perceptions about how broad an audience is going to be for a particular thing. Because yeah. I think they are deeply wrong on that over and over and over in terms of, and it was 10 years ago or more that we had a a similar conversation about who could and couldn't be a protagonist in like in a major 
budget studio film and have that film be successful, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think back then I was like, I, I think anyone who's good, like you tell a good story, you're going to sell tickets. Like yeah. it's, it, you don't have to be within this, you know, narrow band of identity or whatever. And like, I think they thought that for a long time that it was one way. And similarly, I think they think that a certain type of story, that a story needs a certain type of universality to appeal to the masses. And I just don't think that's true. I think they're wrong on that, but that, but they have the money and that's how they make their decisions. But you see a lot of the things that become popular. It's like a, a lot of the things that like really blow up are things that don't hew so closely to what mm -hmm. had been kind of the standard of mass appeal, you know? And yeah. I think I think going for mass appeal maybe gives you the best shot at a kind of high mid or whatever, you know, or low high kind of return on, in terms yeah. of your audience. But like, I, I do think you can, there are a lot of things that appeal to a lot of people and they don't need to be, what the studios think they need to be, in my opinion. I think they're off base. Yeah. Um, but clearly it is about money and thinking, well, if we're spending this much money, we need this much audience in order to get a return on our investment. And right. I just think that they are confused about uh, what sorts of things are really going to yield that. Yeah. I think that's true. But I, I agree with you that they try and then meddle and make things a particular way and sand off the edges, if you can call them edges, you know, but yeah, that, what they see as the edges, what they see as the rough mm -hmm. edges, you know, which to me is like the character of the thing. Half the yeah. Time. Yeah. Like if you told me they were going to make Andor into another big budget movie, but make it so that like, you know, the lines of good and bad were like clear, were a lot more clear to be like, you're, you're fundamentally missing the point and it doesn't have to be that, you know? Yeah. But also I, like they spent a big budget film budget on Andor. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. Andor's just a freak. I mean, the fact that they actually were like, oh, yeah, Tony, you could just make your show. It's cool. Oh, you just <laughs> can't say that. You just have to say fight the empire. You can't say the other thing. Yeah. Okay. I'll give them that. I know so, some of us yeah, think that's a better I, line anyway, and that's okay. I, like, I fundamentally agree that I dislike studio meddling. Mm -hmm. And and that term, like, it's, it's a broad term. Like, basically, like, having too many people uh, in the process who aren't, like, you know, like, directly involved like having people come in like and say oh like we need you to change this and that like that's I, I believe like we all agree that that's what's going wrong with marvel right now is that they've mm -hmm. gotten so full of themselves and like in the mcu and now like everything has to be intricate connected and yet like the the creators who are making individual movies or tv shows aren't given the chance to make their thing like mm -hmm. they're being told what to make and they're, they're kind of like painting by numbers. Um, so, so yeah, like absolutely. Like uh, the, for, for me personally, the movie, everything everywhere all at once, just like completely changed everything in movies yeah. and like what I believe a, a movie can be and like what a, a studio will back and allow to happen 
is just unbelievable. And yeah. that was like a passion project, right? Like the people involved in that, no one was really, like very few people were looking over their shoulders going, oh, you have to change this and that. They just did it and they loved what they were doing and they made what they loved. And that's what we need more of. Um, and for another, whatever reason, another- let me just say on that one, for whatever reason, I was following a lot of like Hollywood press uh, last year. And there were so many stories about like studio executives are totally baffled why everything everywhere is going out is doing so well because it broke all of the rules that you guys are talking about. Like everyone expected it would not do well because it didn't have, you know, a white lead as the, as the center. And it didn't, you know, it had a, a plot that was like all over the, like, you know, imagine trying to write a synopsis of that movie that in any way captures what it's about. <laughs> like you can't. And I, you know, there were all these interviews with executives, most of them anonymous, some of them not though, who were like, yeah, we're, we have to learn. And some of them were like, we have to learn and, and change. And then copy like, it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And others were like, no, this is just a fluke. But they were like, yeah, th- this is not, by our math, this is not a movie that should have mass appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was a fluke. Yeah. And what you have to do is not like try to copy the end result, but understand the process of the people who made that. So like, I want to call out another project. Um, so the actor, the actress who played Princess Yue, her name is Amber Midthunder, and I know her from a movie called Prey, which is mm. uh, in the in the Predator franchise. Like it, it was a uh, she plays a, a native, uh, basically like a hunter who fights against a predator in like the eighteen hundreds, I think it was, and it was a fantastic movie. Like you know the Predator movies, kind of like got campy and silly with predator versus alien but this movie was so well made and the people involved like all understood the project understood the assignment and it was like i think it it was largely or like all a uh, a native cast and crew and so like it's a very similar thing to what we're talking about here with avatar right with with asian and and uh native people involved so like i think one of the takeaways from this that i don't want to see happen in the narrative about this show is like in my opinion this show like i've said is like pretty medium and like i'm not thrilled about it but i'm glad it exists but i don't want the narrative to be like oh well like you you made this with asian and native cast and crew and it, it's not as good as the original, which had, you know, white people involved. And it's like, ugh, like, I don't want that yeah. to be the narrative, right? Yeah. Like, that's not the point of this, because there are projects, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Pray, you know, like, that were made with that care and with the, those people, those groups of people involved. So it's like, just let good people do what they're good at is kind of my, where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, think, I think it's very fair. And it's like, that doesn't mean they're all going to be commercial successes, right? It's yeah. like, yeah. find people who who have artistic vision that know how to execute their artistic vision. Make, let them make those things on reasonable budgets. Like everything, everywhere, all at once, the production budget was like 25 million or less. You yeah. know, yeah. Prey was like 65 million. Like, that's a lot of money. I mean, but not for a, a movie, of, but not for a yeah. movie. Exactly. Not for a yeah. movie these days. Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, and I, just like, I'd rather see 10 movies made on $25 million budgets 
than one $250 million movie, you know, let yeah. 10 people tell their stories and like, maybe I'll like two or three of them and not like eight, but like, that's yeah. fine. Right. Like instead of trying to make one thing that you think everybody's going to like, and people are like, that yeah, was all right. You know? Yeah. I, I, one of the things that most confuses me about this in some ways, and also tells me that like, Netflix pays a lot of attention to some of its things and some they're just like, whatever, it looks fun. Let's put it on. Mm -hmm. Nimona, which is, I think at, as much as I love Spider-Verse, like if this wins the Oscar for best animated, I will not be complaining at all because it, it is one of my absolute favorite movies that I've seen in the last couple of years. And honestly, it feels the closest to the spirit of Avatar of any the original Avatar: mm. The Last Airbender of anything I've ever seen in terms of it is mm. very much about a child and an adult who are kind of working together to to deal with something. It is childlike. It is incredibly irreverent. It is very silly at times. It's also probably the most powerful trans allegory and queer allegory that I've seen on film in the last ten years. It is. It made me sob numerous times. The voice at the it is utterly gorgeous. The voice acting is phenomenal. And and the world building is great. And I just kind of was like, why not do more like that? Like, you know, and I think in this case, it was something that like it was made totally separate. And then Netflix just bought it. And we're like, yeah, let's put it on. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I, I think I wind up. I think I, here, here's I think where I wind up on the show. As a remake of Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm willing to give it another shot in season two. But so far, I think it has not done a very good job of capturing what is the essence of Avatar, and in some cases is like going pretty far from it. Once I, if I kind of in my head just shift all the characters of the name, the names of all the characters, and just think of it as just like its own show that exists in its own thing, I think it's pretty good. Not the best I've ever seen by any means, but enough acting and story beats that I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm into more of this. Um. How I feel yeah. after two years of analysis and not having it come out, uh, who the hell knows, but we'll see. Right. Yeah, I, I do feel like there's enough good stuff to make me want to see, okay, how do they do that scene? Yeah. How how do these actors do that scene? How do they write that scene? Like how, um, you know, I, I want to see how it goes down with Aang and Ozai because this is a different yeah. Ozai and... You know, Aang, it's interesting. Like, I know we've been not super high on Aang's performance, but um, I actually got someone to watch the first two episodes who hadn't really watched the mm -hmm. the animated series. I think she watched the first few episodes or whatever, but eight years ago and doesn't remember them that well. But so I got my mom to watch them and she was actually like, oh, that kid's a pretty good actor. You know, Man. Just like she thought that like it was good and, and definitely thought that, you know, the ones that we thought were great were great. Um, but like, she's enjoying the show, you know, and she doesn't yeah. really have the animated series to compare it to. And I, to an extent, like I envy that. I mean, on the other hand, yeah. I got to enjoy the animated series. So like, I'll, I'll <laughs> let her, she'll watch that afterwards, you know, but like, just to have a perspective of like, I want to be like, how does it feel to watch this show without having this constant, oh, this is different from that, you know, bad acting, but especially bad child acting gives me like that secondhand secondhand embarrassment cringe mm, yeah, like yeah. it makes me like not just like oh this Feel, is bad like, like i'm physical. physically uncomfortable you yes, know yes yes i never had that from this ang 
Yeah, me too. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not, yeah. I'm not having the depth of feeling that I would want to have from this character. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the acting. Maybe that's the dialogue because he also had a lot of very on the nose lines. Yeah. Maybe it's just that again because we're not seeing him train. Like to me, I feel like every season we really focus on on Ang's relationship with a different character. Yeah. And season one is very much about his relationship with Katara. Mm-hmm. And that is fundamentally built on the training. Yeah. And the fact that she sees herself as war, like she sees herself as more of a water bender than he is with good, with good reason. Mm-hmm. But she's then in that situation of like, I've studied this for five years and you're the greatest natural talent the world has seen for a hundred years. Right. And there's some great episodes about like her frustration about that mm-hmm. and him also having like, some arrogance then realizing how like so much of their relationship is expressed through their training. And yeah, I like, I hadn't really thought of it much until you brought it up, Paul, but I think like that's probably another reason why we don't see a lot of great acting from Aang because they gave him some great scenes with Gat- with Gyozu yeah. and Gatsu. Gyozu, thank oh, so, you. Sorry. And, and in those scenes, I think, I think Aang was good. You know, I think Gatsu was, you know, phenomenal, but there's like nothing about Ang's performance was taking away from it. Ang was like making a powerful part of that performance. You know, I don't I remember how I was kind of mad at Gyatso for leaving. Yeah, yeah. I I that was true because that actor really made me feel the pain of him come, like how much he wanted yeah. to be able to see you know this his father friend again yeah. and how 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 hurt he was when that didn't happen. That's cuz of his acting. So Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, yeah. So yeah, maybe Lu Ten's funeral wasn't my favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like for, for me. Uh, if it's not obvious, like I love feeling those emote. Like I love crying <laughs> when I watch yeah. TV. <laughs> so those those are the scenes that get me. Um, but yeah, I I I agree, and I want to clarify like my criticism. Gordon's performance as Aang like is in a similar place to my overall feelings about this show is that it's very mid like a C yeah. C plus like I don't think they're bad I don't think they're great like I believe the original animated avatar was mm-hmm. but this is like fun to watch and I'll I'll watch it because I enjoy the product yeah mm-hmm. yeah all right any other last words before we wrap up uh i talked about paku i'm I'm trying to like think through Mm -hmm. my these especially like these last two episodes yeah i i don't know like going for like i i guess i would ask listeners going forward how far do you think they will deviate from the animated show because we I, i i threw out a few suggestions of like things that might be different right like Zhao could be alive like that's a that's a very different story lieutenant g like actually being a character would be a different right. story like, yeah and we we also have the deviation of the ang not water bending at this point yeah in the storyline right like how yeah. does that play out and how does that impact a, a season two yeah. does he does he have to spend time learning water bending or do we think we just get a shortcut where at right. the beginning of the show, they're like, it's been six months and Qatar has taught me waterbending. Right, yeah. right. That would be that would be rough for me. Like, because <laughs> yeah. for me, like the, the student teacher relationship, particularly in, in things like that and like 
skills and like martial arts type things is like mm -hmm. very meaningful to me and has had a big role in my life on on both sides of yeah. that as as a student and a teacher and to just like not have that at all it feels to me yeah. like like just being robbed of such an important part of the story mm -hmm. and making ang such a natural talent that he didn't he like he slacked off on his airbending like really mm -hmm. like and I feel like that's another one of those like you're not necessarily giving a great message. Yeah. You know, that like the people who are great at these things, it's just because they have so much natural talent. Um Yeah. So if you're not like a black belt within your first three karate lessons, kid, like give up because you're not right. one of the natural talents. Like that's right, terrible. exactly. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, good. Well, as I mentioned earlier, like it also shortchanged Katara as a character. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Because and I, think, I, I, I think one of the things like we talk about is like you learn by teaching, like you mm -hmm. can become better yourself yeah. by by teaching to other people. Absolutely. And that that was completely missing from yeah. this season. Yeah. And in a way, I think it may also shortchange my favorite character, with the exception of Zuko, maybe uh, Toph, because so much of what makes Toph's interaction with with Aang so interesting is that her style, uh, she's the person who's going to wind up teaching him uh, earthbending, at least does in the animated. Her style is so radically different than Katara's. Yeah. And it's really rough for Aang to adjust to. Yeah. And I feel like if we haven't seen a lot of her, of Katara training him, right. that's, that's yeah. all going to feel weird. Yeah. There's an, there was an episode devoted to Katara teaching Toph how to teach Aang because right. she's been doing it. Yeah, and, and then like fighting over that and that friction. Yeah. So their relationship, Dude. so much of their relationship early on, especially, is about their relationships as both being teachers to Aang and being like, no, you have to do it this way. Well, that's not how earthbending works, blah, blah, blah. And like yeah. that yeah. takes away from both of those characters in, in two ways, right? It's like we, we lose three relationships yeah. that way, or at it's least really two. At least it's two. unfortunate, but like I think they're just going to have to summer vacation it. I think so. And, and come That's back at the beginning of season two and be like, it's yeah. been X months and yeah. Katara has been teaching Aang waterbending. I, yeah. I don't I don't see a way around that really. Like, there's no way to fit that in. Honestly, in way. given the production schedule, like, that's how I would write it if I picked up in season two and said, okay, what yeah. do I do with where we are and where our actors are? And everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to have well, to say that's what happened and... Especially and, and because it'll, it'll be a good patch. Yeah. Especially because, as we've seen, this show is very happy to do a bunch of flashbacks. Right. But I don't know if you can shoot flashbacks no. to Katara treating Aang yeah. if the actor Aang is now two feet taller than he was before. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Know? Yeah, camera I, angles. You yeah, just got to exactly. Peter Jackson it. You yeah, know? Peter Jackson it. That's the thing. <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to bring up, which, oh, God, what the hell was this? Um the budgets the live action stuff uh i had one other thought i wanted to bring up that was just so related to all of this and that was completely out of my head and i hate that this is going out live it's not going out live it's, not it's going to be in the live. youtube yeah um the you can you can cut things easily on youtube you know just yeah um we're talking about sorry I, I just really want to make sure i don't forget this but we're talking about katara we're talking about ang and the, the teaching um is it about who, like, who do they get to play Toph? No, it was about Katarn Aang. Um, oh, yeah. Um, 
No, I totally lost it. Oh. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I know. I'm sure I'll think of it five. You know what? I'll like make someone up and write it in as feedback. That's you know. Okay. Here's the question. Perfect. Perfect. I do uh, have two things. All right. So we'll go back to that. When you asked earlier. Yeah. One. I thought there well, was. Hold, a... let, me, let me. Oh let me yeah. Read. Go ahead. All right. So Paul, what about you? Last things you want to wrap up with? Yeah. So I got two things. One's short. One's short. Um, one was like what I felt like was actually a pretty good sequence of dialogue between Zuko and Iroh, where Iroh's like, so do you have a plan? And then Zuko's like, plan? Yeah, I have a plan. It's to show that my father wasn't wrong to trust me with this job, blah, 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 blah. And Iroh's like, so no plan. <laughs> so good, so good. The delivery, I was like, that. that's well written and it's mm-hmm. perfectly delivered. I was like, okay, yeah. we. I need to give the, the writers some credit there. I mean, unless it was improvised, but it didn't feel improvised. It felt like, you know, yeah. It just felt like a well-executed levity in mm-hmm. a spot that was pretty, you know, within a serious part of, of the show. So, it, like, that worked for me. The other one was I really appreciated um, that they didn't focus too much on Sokka's bigotry and um, that he overcame it pretty quickly, by which I mean uh, that he really cared about Momo. You know, instead yeah. of just wanting to eat him all the time. So, you know, he overcame <laughs> yeah. his speciesism there. And I actually <laughs> found that, that like Momo bit, I was like, oh, you're not going to kill Momo. <laughs> like, yeah, no. it can't cost that much to, to CGI or whatever. Um, so, oh, like, I figured I, if Momo was dead there once again, no, I was no, like, all right, we're back done. down the hatches. Paul's going to have some too. things to say. Yeah, I'm fighting at finding out all the writers and I'm not watching anything they make ever again. No, yeah. but so, yeah, I, like they they let Momo be a hero, you know, mm-hmm. and then they let Sokka help save Momo and like yep. that, you know, and, and, heal, and they healed him and everything. I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. That was nice. That was a nice moment. And that's, that's to me, that's like a that shows how like you can have like just a little one minute segment that really yeah. does a lot. Right. Like yeah. you don't, I don't need five scenes like that, but just one scene like that tells me a lot. Yeah. I think it's true. Two last things that I had. I did remember. Um, so two, let's start again. Two last things that I had one very small and the other a little bit big, bigger. I can't understand why no one thought of this before. But using water bending to make ice cream has to be yeah. one of my favorite. Like, of course you would do that. That's so brilliant. Like, I love that so much. Um, but the other one is, as I said, I am really interested in what they're doing with Ozai, Azula, Zuku, and this idea that where's the Avatar, uh, where the uh, animated, he's basically pretty much written off Zuku, Zuko until maybe. Whereas in the animated, he's pretty much written off Zuko. Oh, my God. Whereas in the animated version, he has pretty much written off Zuko. In this one, you know, it does seem like he's playing the two off against each other. So when Zhao gives Zuko the speech that he gives in the animated, almost word for word about, no, your father isn't interested in you. You're done. He's just looking for at Azula. At first, I was like, wait a minute, you're betraying the whole thing you've set up until I realized, wait a minute, Zhao, Zhao has all of his information from Azula. Mm-hmm. And so actually, this makes total it. It actually I thought if if the writers were as smart as I'm giving them credit for, which I think they were, this is brilliant because it shows a that Azula is manipulating Zhao all over the place. B, that we still have Zuko hearing this and thus having to deal with believing that. 
even though we, the audience, know that something different's happening. Uh, so I really liked how, how they did that, and especially if that's what they were doing. If they were just like, yeah, let's have him give that speech, because it was a great speech and animated, without realizing what they've been doing the whole time until then, then I'm a lot more disappointed. But I want to give them more credit than that. I think it's fair to interpret it the way you do, and I, I don't... I don't see any reason to care what they meant. Like if it works but, for yeah, you, exactly. it works for you. That's great. You know, um, and I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the end, it only matters given how they tell the story going forward. That's true. That, that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's the same writers, even, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, exactly. Sometimes showrunners change. And although supposedly all the season two scripts are ready in case they get greenlit. I'm like, you don't you you don't want any feedback? Oh my god! You're you're not going to listen to our podcast? No, but I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't really want writers to listen too much to feedback. To be honest, you know. Yeah, I um, think it's fair. I, I I think there's some value to it, but I think um, it can probably kind of hamper in some ways as well. Yeah, I I have definitely seen shows where I got the impression that the writers listen too much to the critics. Uh, not even shows. I think that was part yeah. of what happened with the Star Wars movies yeah, in terms of like the incredibly negative feedback that people got and how that affected things. I think that was more the studio than the writers. But yeah, I've also definitely seen yeah. things where writers get really badly attacked and then it feels like they get gun shy or they're you know, mm -hmm. too much in their head. Well, again, thank you both so much. Uh, you guys have just recorded, you know, almost nine hours of podcasts over two days, over four days. I'm so, so grateful. It's actually more like seven hours, but I'm either way, whatever it is. Just round up. It's fine. I'm, there's, I'm, the, there's the fifth one, too, from earlier, earlier days. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, yeah, no, we're like nine, nine or ten. Yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful to both of you. Both of these people create amazing stuff. Uh, links in the show notes. Please check all that kind of stuff out. Uh, of course, please check out all the other things we're doing on Ethical Panda. It is now 1130 at night, and I now have to edit uh, us talking for two hours because these two folks just wouldn't show up. I didn't help either, um, but I couldn't imagine anyone better to have covered this with. Thank you guys all so much. Yep, yep, motherfucker. <laughs> I, I don't know how to follow that up. I, I do want to just say, like, I've really enjoyed talking about this show with the two of you, yeah. and it, it's it's greatly added to my enjoyment of the show, which was was kind of mid in the first place, but overall <laughs> it's been a, a, you know, a, a strong positive experience, the whole thing combined. So. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad we did this. Thank you so much for creating this space. Yeah. And having us on. It's yeah, too bad the I, two of you don't share any other interests that we can talk about. <laughs> I like chess. I don't know. Yeah, that was sarcasm. <laughs> I haven't played chess in a long time. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right. show. Actually signing off now. Yep, All yep. Right. To everybody. I am the one. <laughs> I am the two.